Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Trick Talks. My name is Barbara Lally, and today we are here with Sandy. How are you, Sandy? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm great. Thank you so much for coming on. So Sandy and I are friends, but also we have a really, really awesome conversation that's going to happen. So I'm excited to ask you some questions about your professional life. Yeah, thank you. Friends and book club members and co-professionals. Yes. <laughs> so tell us, you are a therapist. So tell yes. us about that journey. Was it always something that you wanted to do? Tell us how you got to this point. Okay. So I am a licensed professional counselor in Pennsylvania. Um, I knew I wanted to work with kids. I thought that meant I wanted to be a teacher. I actually applied to college as a special ed major. And then the summer before I went into college, once I was accepted, I actually, I don't even exactly know what happened, but I ended up calling St. Joe's and changing my major over the phone and, um, went in as a psych major and I just knew it was the right thing. So I, I'm really interested in people's stories. I like to know why people do the things they do and why people think the way they think. I like to figure out myself, why I do the things I do and think the things I think. Um, and I knew I wanted to help people, but there are so many ways to do that. And um, I knew I couldn't be like a doctor or a nurse because blood is not my thing. And um, I think this was just the, like now looking back, it was the only path for me. Um, so I got my undergrad. I went to St. Joseph's University in Philly. Um, and then I got my graduate degree, my master's at Chestnut Hill College, um, which is like a small local Philly college for anybody who's not from around here. Um, and then I specialized in child and adolescent counseling. And um, then I worked for a couple of years, obtained my um, hours that are supervised, that are required by the state, passed my licensure exam, and I was licensed. That was 2012. Um, so I've been licensed for 10 years. Wow. During that time, because that's a lot of schooling that you have to yeah. do. During that time, did you ever have that like wavering feeling of like, is this really what I want to do? Or it was kind of like, no, this is what I'm passionate about. I want to continue. Yeah, I knew I wanted to do it, but I was like, I'm spending a lot of money. So like this better work out, right? <laughs> because you have a lot of professors saying things like, you know, you're not in it for the money. You're in it to help people. Like we all know that about this field. And um, although that can be kind of misleading because as you progress in the field and you can have your own practice and you can do various other things like things online, for example, kind of like what you're doing, um, there are a lot of other options. But like the average job coming out of graduate school is very low paying and crazy hours and it's very stressful. So I was nervous. I knew it was my field, but I was like, I'm spending a lot of money. I really hope this works out long term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, it is, you have to have the passion for it. Otherwise that is going to keep being in the back of your head. Yes. Like, Whoa, wait, what am I doing? What am I doing? Yes. So have you ever encountered someone with trichotillomania or any of the BFRBs that people have? I have. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't specialize in it. Um, but I do have a huge population population of people with anxiety disorders and obsessive compulsive disorders. Um, and so I have, I've had people who are, um, have uh, dermatillomania or excoriation disorder. They also call that's what the DSM calls it. Um, and none of them have ever been diagnosed by a professional. That's what's really interesting. They always know they have anxiety or they know they have OCD tendencies. Um, 
but they're never coming to me with that diagnosis of like a body focused repetitive behavior disorder. And I don't know if that's because it's just not the first thing that comes to mind by the people doing the diagnosing or if they just kind of give them like the generalized anxiety umbrella term. Um, but it's just like an interesting thing to note that they never officially have the diagnosis. Um, also, so I knew a girl in college who I remember, I still remember she sat behind me in class. She didn't have any eyelashes and I was a psych major and I did not, somebody told me, oh, she pulled her eyelashes out. And I was like, oh, why? Like it never even occurred to me that that was like a mental health. I thought it was like a habit, like biting your nails, mm -hmm. which also can be a mental health thing. But you know, I was like 20. Um, and I myself, you don't even know this. Um, I've been pulling the skin off my lips since I was in second grade. So that is my constant chronic signal to everyone that I am stressed. Like if I'm doing great, my lips look lovely. And if I am stressed or overwhelmed or anxious, you, you can literally see it on my face. Mm. I know. Wow. I know. So <laughs> yes, yeah, so I have a lot of questions now because I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, hello, hello, we recognize this. <laughs> yeah, so second grade, did it? Do you remember the first time you started doing that? I do. It, it's so. So I have these like weird moments in my life that I remember things that I don't know if it's the day I decided to start doing it or the day that I noticed I was doing it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like I have always had anxiety disorder, was never diagnosed. And I always had obsessive compulsive tendencies, never diagnosed. I remember, for example, in high school, I read an article in um, Cosmo Girl. And I don't think they even make that anymore. It was Cosmopolitan, but for younger people. And a girl in it had OCD. And as I was reading it, I was like, I remember being like, oh, wait a minute. Like, I don't know. And I remember feeling very weird. And I was like do I do this or is it giving me the idea to do this? Which is a very OCD thought, right? Like you don't even trust your own thinking. And I remember being in second grade and my friend was like, oh yeah, I pull the skin off of my lips. And I was like, huh? And I was like, I suddenly magically aware, like, so do I. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to think I'm copying off of her, which is like, <laughs> no. But um, yeah, I like, I literally did it. Con my dad, my dad would constantly stop picking your lip, get off your lip, leave your lips alone. It was just compulsive. I never even was conscious of it at first. Wow. Do you still do yeah. it today? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Much less, much less because mm -hmm. I'm like hyper aware of it now, but I catch myself. So, mm -hmm. Actually a couple of weeks ago, like a week ago, I got a, I got a sunburn on my lips mm -hmm. and I'm sure, you know, like certain things are like a little bit of a trigger and like dry skin, mm -hmm. bad, bad trigger for a person who likes to peel it off. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we do what we can. <laughs> yeah. So what are some things that you do in order to try to like maybe lessen the urges? I know you, we just talked about dry, you know, maybe putting like plastic yeah. stuff, but are yeah. there other things that you do if you're noticing like, oh, my hand keeps going here? Yeah. So I, and this is how I kind of work with clients too. So it's like, I work, I like do this, apply it to myself, but also this is how I would talk about it with a client. I always say there's multiple ways to approach anything. So what we know is it's not really about the lips. It's not really about your hair. It's not really about your skin, right? Just like with like anorexia, it's not really about weight. Like that's part of it, but it's not all of it. Just like OCD is not really about germs, right? Mm -hmm. It's about what else is going on, whether that's a chemical imbalance, whether that's the way that you think about things, whether that's a lack of 
self-care or coping skills for things like anxiety, stress, depression, things like that. So we can approach it from the area of like increased self-care, like look at it as like a trigger is not just a thing that tells you this is bad, but it tells you, oh, this is an opportunity to do something good for yourself, right? Like now I know I'm having this, I must be more stressed than I thought. So what can we do, right? And like boost all that stuff up. And then there's the other area we can come from it, like um, logistical stuff, like always have chapstick on you, right? Mm -hmm. Or like maybe for you, I don't know, like always keep your hair up or like if it's a certain kind of day, like do certain things, like a braid that means like you wouldn't be like having as much access to it, right? Mm -hmm. So like my kids I've worked with, with um, when they're picking their faces, it's like, you know, don't keep a mirror in your bedroom or like keep other like fidgety things in your room, like bracelet making or like those sticker mosaic books mm -hmm. or doodling or like whatever keeps their hands busy. I don't know if you know, they, there's um, these rocks you can buy that have like lots of holes in them. Do you know about mm -hmm. these? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And they like, you pour like, basically it's like Elmer's glue, but it's colored and they like peel them out. Mm -hmm. It I mean, seems very satisfying. <laughs> it does. It also seems a little triggering. So I have talked to people about that. Like I, I kind of compare it to like non-alcoholic beer for an alcoholic. Like for some people that works for others, it's a trigger and it's a slippery slope. So you don't want to find yourself picking at something and it's so satisfying that it reminds you of your face. Mm -hmm. So, and there's no one size fits all. So you just try things until you find one that works. Mm -hmm. Well, I love that you, you know, you say what works for me, I can apply that as well. Are there things that you have, you know, spoken to your clients about if you're allowed to tell me, um, things that you, that are like kind of tried and true things that have worked for a lot of the people that you've spoken to. Yes. So yes, I can tell you things that are like general. I can't talk about like, so I have this girl, she's this old. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's not even necessary. So like, here are the things that always work for people. Self-care. Now, I don't know which self-care will work for you. Right. So self-care in our society right now is thought of as like, get your nails done, get your hair done. And like, that can be a hundred percent, but also like take a walk in the park take a nap, watch Netflix, read a book, call your best friend, hug your dog. Like it doesn't have to even cost any money. It doesn't have to be like typical societally acceptable, like pampering, right? Cause like guys need self-care too. And they're not going to like, probably not going to go get their nails done maybe, but you know, they, there are things that we can all do every single day. So I always encourage consistent self-care coping skills are for when things are, when you're struggling. Um, self-care is for everyone every day of their lives. So that's always a thing that always works. Um, and support, finding somebody, even if it's one person who you can tell what's going on and you know they won't judge you. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have anybody, well, in the meantime, they have me. And I don't exist in their real life, I always say. I'm just like a person who's on the periphery for right now. But I help mm -hmm. them like learn what they're looking for in a friend. Because mm -hmm. when you struggle with self-esteem, which is comes with anxiety disorders, you don't know how to find a friend all the time because you don't think you're worthy of that. People, I always teach everybody grounding exercises and I always teach everybody meditation and mindfulness. And the ones I teach are not the ones that require you to clear your mind and be completely zen because I think that's really hard for me. And I know the people I work with are, you know, pretty much all school age, like whether they're kids, teens, or like college students are a little older. I, they have a lot going on in their minds. I think it's really hard to expect them to clear it entirely. So I just teach them, um, they're actually like acceptance ones about 
recognizing that your thoughts come and go and you don't have to cling to them and just kind of like learning to let things go. And it's a lot about acceptance of yourself and your thoughts and your feelings and things like that. Um, and those are just like, you can use them every single day. And then you can also utilize them when you're feeling any kind of urge or anxiety symptom. I love that. What, what are, what would be like some examples of the things that, that you can say to yourself? Oh, yes. So, so the grounding exercises I have, um, there's one called five, four, three, two, one. I'll, I can give it to you and you can post it on your page. Um, it's name five things you can see, four things you can feel with your physical body, not like my heart racing. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I feel like my, um, legs on the chair. Like I feel my hands on my, on my knees. Mm -hmm. Um, three things you can hear, which requires you to get very still two things you can smell. So nice deep breaths. One thing you like about yourself. So it's grounding because it just returns you to the moment. Typically anxiety is about things we're worried about might happen in the future or things we're thinking about that have already taken place in the past. Typically in the here and now we're safe. And, um, so it just kind of like returns you to like where your feet are, you know? Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. I I'm going to come and use that. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that is nice because it is so, I think, you know, especially for people with anxiety, of course, me, myself included, I, I kind of spiral. Like if I'm like feeling uncomfortable in any situation, I'm like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. Oh, I got to leave. I have to do, and I, do, 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 do. And it's yeah. hard to get myself back to where I, and that's a nice exercise to do the five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a couple like that. They're similar. Um, there's one that I do with little kids. It's called the rainbow. It's just like name everything that's red in the room, everything that's orange in the room, everything that's yellow in the room, just through the rainbow. Um, and it just kind of, again, like refocus, healthy distraction. And I mean, people do spiral, right? Like the thing is with a lot of people, they think like, if I'm anxious and I'm in public and I have a panic attack, like then what? Right. And like, we never really answer the question like, then what? Then nothing, right? Like you, you will survive it, but it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like a very, again, like I use the word grounding. It's a grounding exercise. It's very grounding. It just returns you to your body and helps you remember that in this moment, I am safe. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that like sometimes people like your clients, they might not have someone to support them. Yeah. I noticed when I first kind of got on Instagram about trichotillomania that I was like, whoa, there's all these people. And so I'm like reaching out to people. I'm kind of building these friendships based on something I didn't really talk about in my everyday life. How do you feel about, you know, the social media and how active kids are on it now? Yeah, it's such a loaded question though, right? Because you are an adult. So you can manage like the hate comments or the criticism or the negativity or like the rude comments that are meaning to be nice, but just aren't. But imagine if you did this when you were like 15, you know, like I just wouldn't have survived it emotionally. And I recently like incidentally went viral on TikTok and I am a grown woman. And I'm like, if this were 20 years ago, I would be, I would have thrown my phone out the window. I could never have handled it. But while there's so much toxicity on the internet, while there's so many negative messages, while there's all this comparison, while there's a lot of wrong messages about mental health, there is also so much value in the community. There are some people who never have met anybody else with what they're struggling with, or they think they haven't because they've never talked about it in person with anyone. There are people who every friend they have is on the internet. And like, thank God they have the internet because everyone needs friends. And like, 
this isn't even mentioning COVID when we weren't even allowed to see people outside of the internet. I don't think it's really fair for us to tell teenagers that they can't see their friends for a year except for online. And then the minute COVID kind of like fades away, we're like, get your nose out of that phone. Like they have established a community there, whether it's with their friends in real life or their friends on the internet. And I do think there've been people who have access to a ton of good information from Instagram and TikTok and Twitter. And I think if you know how to filter it properly, which kids don't yet, but it is a learning curve and it's a life skill now, um, it can be so invaluable. Mm -hmm. And it's true. You make such a good point because I only start talking about trick when I was like literally a grown up, like I think what, 27, 28 years old. But I could, I could never, I mean, my whole life, I didn't talk about it really. I was like so ashamed and embarrassed. And it is interesting because I wonder, I wonder if I had social media and I was like, hey, me too. Like, would I have been more accepting of myself or like, would I have been, you know, getting the hate messages and like not knowing how to handle it? It's such a double, you know, double-edged sword. It's hard. It is. And you know what else though? I will say like the dark side of social media too, is that kids, people in general, but kids and teens are easily influenced by peers. And so there are people who do learn negative behaviors on the internet. And so what, what I do know is I have had clients myself with like self-harm behaviors Mm -hmm. that, um, have like learned it from others. You know what I mean? Like they have been told it is, it helps me cope and there's nobody to tell them that like, here's why it's not good. Do you know what I mean? And so without those like adult moderators or like professionals to kind of like adjust the messages, um, you know, it's like a new place for them to get info. That's not always good or true, but Mm -hmm. so is school. Mm -hmm. They're going to get it anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Cause I think, I think there was a conversation about like TikTok and uh, people diagnosing themselves just based off of other yeah. videos. I think, did, did you have, you had a video about that, right? Tell I us did. People. Yeah. People were not happy about it because I know that there is not a, a ton of access to mental health care in a lot of areas in the United States. And so people felt like I was saying like only doctors, mm-hmm. um, like basically like give us all your money so we can diagnose you, even though I'm not a doctor and I don't do diagnostics. Um, and I wasn't saying that at all, but I do think people get, a lot of messages from the internet and they're not, um, you know, these are one minute videos. They're not nuanced and they can't be, and they're not meant to be. Um, I think it's good if you see things that resonate and you go to a professional and ask for help or support. But I think some of the messages can be like, um, this is what you have and you're doomed. Mm -hmm. And I never think anybody's doomed. I never think anyone's beyond help. And I think there's, a little bit of like an undercurrent of like a distaste for the mental health professionals in this community. And um, I worry people will diagnose themselves and think they can't get help because we don't care to help. And then they're just kind of like adrift. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen that. I've seen like people, um, especially I've, you know, I obviously follow you. I see your videos too, where it's a lot of questions of like, but do they actually care because they're getting paid? It's like, yeah. Like, of course, like, what do you mean? <laughs> but like, I am, it is my job to, you, you say it better. You tell me. Yeah. Well, that's what I, I mean, it is, it's interesting. I never knew. I, I feel very sheltered. I never knew people thought this about therapists. I thought like, 
lot of me likes therapists because we help people and we're nice, but no. So people feel, so, and, and they, people can feel however they feel. And I don't doubt they've had this experience because I work with a lot of therapists and most of them are amazing, but I've worked with some that I'm like, why are you in this field? So mm-hmm. I get it. Um, but people have asked me like, yeah, like, do you even really care? You're getting paid or like, I'm glad to know you only care for the hour that you be, that you're paid for and things like that. And it's such a slippery thing because like when people say something at the very end of a session and it's life-threatening, like everything stops. I promise you, we will be, we will be addressing that immediately and making sure this client is safe. I don't care if it takes 10 hours, Mm -hmm. but we can't have a client dropping like interesting morsels at the end of every session because that are, that aren't like life-threatening or urgent or emergent because this is just kind of like teach like it's my job to teach the client boundaries by my own um behavior like mm-hmm. teach them how to set their own boundaries by boundaries that I set like I'm modeling healthy boundary setting and if every time they say something I drag it out another 20 minutes First of all, it impedes on my next client session. And second of all, I'm not helping them make the best use of their time. Like they have 45 to 50 minutes and I want us to use it to the best of our ability. And I promise you, I care so much. I always tell my clients, I set myself a timer because I'd be here for three hours. Mm -hmm. I love to talk to people and I love to help and I love to hear what they have to say. But it's just, it's not ethical for me to not mind the time because it's, their time and I want them to use it effectively and I want them to feel safe when they leave. Um, it's not considerate of the next client's time. And honestly, like I can't do three straight hours of therapy with one person because I too will be burned out and then I'm not helpful to anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm so, I'm like cracking up because I think I have been trained like that. Like I know now, I mean, I went to therapy as, as a young child and I, I kind of knew right away, like, okay, listen, you better get it out right away. Like, I think I had those yeah. moments where I was like, you know, not really talking about stuff. And then I'm like, oh, it's over. Like I was trained by my therapist. Mm-hmm. Here, let's get this out. You don't want to leave when you feel like you haven't, you know, accomplished what you wanted. Because there yeah. are, I kind of do, I mean, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I know I kind of wanted to accomplish certain things each time I went. I wanted to bring this story up from the week or this memory. And when I don't do that, I'm like, oh, that stinks. I don't like that. Like, yeah, the drive home, you're like, oh, that was the one thing I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Now I forgot to say it it's been a whole week. Yeah. And but sometimes it's big. And like people have made these comments under my video, like I dropped a bomb on my therapist and it saved my life. And like, yeah, don't hold those back. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we're not talking about like self harm. We're not mm-hmm. talking about like threats to yourself. We're talking about like a new story from the week that is just like indicating something about how this person's doing. But we've talked for 55 minutes about it already. And, mm-hmm. you know, things are wrapping up and I just don't want them to be like, here it is. And I'm like, okay, great. I can't really respond. Like I want to respond. Mm-hmm. And so it's most considerate on my end and a healthy boundary for me to say, perfect. I'm going to jot it down. And next week we're going to pick up right there. Mm-hmm. Do you often find yourself like, I know my therapists would give me um, almost like assignments, not necessarily like homework, but maybe things to like try to work on. Is that you would, would you give like the grounding exercises and things? Yeah. Yeah. So not all my clients are in it for skills. A lot of them like already have them. Um, 
or they're like at a point where they don't like want or need me to like assign anything. But I, at the end, I always say like, okay, so this week you're going to kind of like work on this because we've established that together. Um, a lot of my younger clients, I do kind of give them like homework and I tell them like, this is not homework for me. You're not turning it in. I'm never going to read it. It's homework for you to kind of like get your mindset where we need it to be for next week. If we're going to talk about this topic or like, so you can reflect on what we just talked about today. Or I tell the, um, I tell them when I teach them that the grounding exercises, I say, you know, when you're in school, you practice fire drills. You don't do it when there's already a fire. You practice fire drills consistently when you're calm, you learn them. And then God forbid there's ever an emergency. You have it in your toolkit. You know what to do. You know what route to take and you calmly can get out the door. I want your coping skills to become so ingrained in you that they're like muscle memory and that when you need them, you can pull them out. And they're not like, oh no, where is that paper? So I ask them to um, practice. Mm -hmm. And then I also give, like I'll like email them stuff. Like especially my like teenagers, I'll send them like worksheets on Mm -hmm. like assessing their values so they can reflect on who they really are and decide if they're living in conjunction with those. Um, Or self-esteem workbooks like I have I recommend books to people um mm-hmm. like workbooks or books that they read I actually just got this one back from one of my <laughs> I had it she she borrowed it and I was like I need it back I'm on her podcast on Monday I have to have it with me um but I said workbooks or uh exercises worksheets I've given them um podcasts to listen to I've given them um, apps like Headspace and stuff like that to, to listen to. There's one that my cousin, oh, Christiana, she uses for her son um, called Moshi. And it's like nighttime uh, cool downs. And they talk about like relaxing your mind and like letting your thoughts drift away. And it's for little kids. So like I let my kids use it. They're like three and four. And I just kind of, and I tell them all, like there's no one thing that works for everybody. Try everything, give it some time. And if you don't like it, you discard it and you take what you need. Mm-hmm. Nice. Since you work with um, like adolescents and teens, do you have, um, have you ever had to tell like a parent, like, hey, your child doesn't necessarily want you in the sessions? Like, is that, do you have parents come in? Like, what do you, how do you kind of manage that? Yes. Good question. So when you work with the drug and alcohol population, which is what I used to do, there is actually no age of consent for rehab inpatient or outpatient. And so if you sign yourself into drug and alcohol treatment at any age, no one can know about it unless you sign a consent, even your parents. So even if you're like 11. So that's interesting to tell those parents that. Um, But now what I do is mental health. So the age of consent in Pennsylvania is 14. So if you have turned 14, you can sign yourself into therapy and you can say, I don't want anybody to know about any of it. Now, I always tell them, well, your parents are going to pay. So Mm -hmm. you probably at least need them to know when we meet, right? Um, And I encourage family involvement because ideally they are your supporters and they probably live with you and they're going to hold you accountable or try to remind you to engage in these coping skills, or maybe they want to learn some of this stuff. Maybe they want to be educated. Like, wouldn't it be helpful if I could educate your parents on what you're going through so that they don't think like, oh, you're a kid. Like kids don't have problems. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like, oh, we've just stop it. Right. Or like cheer up or whatever. And (laughs) so I do a lot of educate and like no hate to the parents at all. They're all just doing their best. And the fact that I know their children means they've brought them to therapy, which means like a plus validation. Right. 
but not everybody's educated on mental health. Like, I don't know what I would think about mental health if it weren't my field. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes, but so I encourage family involvement, but I allow them to make the choice. I mean, it, I'm ethically bound to allow them to make the choice. And I educate the parents on that. And I have a lot of kids who've chosen to have their parents in the sessions. Um, I, ha- I, however, do have kids under 14 who have declined and their parents have been respectful of that. And I have kids over 14 who have asked their parents to sit in every session. Like I have some people whose moms or dads or whatever are there the whole time because they, what they really want to work on is communication with their parents. And so like, what better way to do it than to do it in real time in front of the therapist? You know, I'm not mm-hmm. a family therapist, but I do like the identified patient is what they call it. Like the client who is mine is the teen. And then I help the whole family kind of like learn to adjust to this new, whatever it is, diagnosis, behavior, healthy change, you know? Mm -hmm. And you make a good point because I know at least for, you know, in my experience, my parents had no idea what like trick was like never heard of it ever in the world. Um, And so like, luckily they were able to like go and meet my therapist and they're like, well, here's what we think. Um, and it worked out great. Cause they were like, okay, cool. This isn't just a silly habit that she might grow out of. Like sh- this is an actual thing in the DSM five that is diagnosable. Yeah. So validating. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting. Cause I always tell people when there's like a book about their, whatever they're going through, I'm like, isn't it cool that they didn't write this book for you? right? Like they wrote this book because there's a lot of people who need it. And like, now you're one of those people, you know, like you could be like, Hey, if it's that rare, why is there a book about it? Yeah. Why is it like number whatever on Amazon, right? Like <laughs> people need to know that there's other people like them. Like they needed representation. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I remember I even had um, a student who was, I noticed her pulling her hair because I was like, Hey, I, I recognize this behavior. And I was like, can I talk to your parents about it? Can I like tell your mom? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, okay. So I like tell the mom, like going through the whole thing. This is what, you know, when I was little, I'm not, I'm not diagnosing her at all. I'm just noticing a similar behavior, blah, blah, blah. And the mom just completely was like, no, it's just a habit. She's good. And I was like, okay, okay. Like, I hope so. Like, I really do hope yeah. so. But also like, uh, like I'm not a doctor at all, but like, I know you're, you're doing what I do. And that's right. a little right. bit. Iffy, yeah, you know? it's just, yeah, I wouldn't call it like the average coping skill, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, but I do think, like, I always tell myself and I tell my clients and I tell their parents, like, I believe everybody does the best they can with what they have. I think like a parent who denies it, it's because like, they just would never want to think their kid would be suffering like that. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's not like, um, you know, for any negative, typically it's, it's not for a negative reason. It's because like, if they say, oh, you might be right, then now we have to like face that. Mm-hmm. And who wants to know that their kid is struggling? Mm-hmm. It's true. And I, it's one of the things that like hurt, like not hurt me personally, but like definitely hurt my feelings was how upset it made my parents just because they were sad that I was sad. Like they were sad that I was upset at the way that I looked. And I'm like, I don't want you to be sad. But like, I also now feel like I want to do this more often because I'm like stressed about it. You know? <laughs> so it's like this, this hard cycle. But yeah, I mean, it, it is tough to see, especially like a little kid doing something and having to like do something simple, like go to school and then come home crying. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. No, I know. And to like not 
fully get it and mm-hmm. to think like, well, if you don't like how the kids are acting toward you, like maybe stop. Like, mm-hmm. no kidding. Like, I wish it's like when you're anxious, like, have you thought about calming down? Like, mm. <laughs> I have thought about it. <laughs> I have considered it. Mm-hmm. Wish I had thought of that one, right? Like, I wish I had thought to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think it's like, I, I don't think it's a commonly heard diagnosis mm-hmm. by the average person. Right. And so like, I think like generally people know about like anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia. I think those are like the ones that people hear about the most. Mm-hmm. And then everything else like either falls under that umbrella or, oh, I guess PTSD, right? But everybody mm-hmm. thinks that's like just the military. Like there's so little in the world that's like truly being circulated that's accurate. And another thing, which I don't want to get way off topic, but like another thing is the way that every time there's like a tragedy in the world or like someone does something horrible, everybody's like mental health. I'm like, let's not target the mental health community and tell people that they're like one moment away from losing it because that's not accurate. The Mm -hmm. vast, vast, vast majority of people with a mental health concern will never do anything violent Mm -hmm. or aggressive or even close. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about um, some of the qualities that you believe like a good or productive therapist would have. And also, there were some that you mentioned that you worked with that were kind of iffy. What kind mm. of qualities did they have? <laughs> <laughs> um, I won't say their name. Um, but so, okay, a good therapist. So first of all, there's a lot of different kinds of therapists. So there are people who are like very unlike me. They're like, I consider myself professional, but like very approachable. I'm like very human, like very, I try to be like very human to my clients. Um, which isn't hard. I just like, I just be myself. But there are people who work with a different population who are like very highly professional and that is appropriate for the population. So you have to kind of take into consideration who you work with, right? Um, And so like, that's one chunk of it. So just kind of like knowing your audience and being able to be like whoever that genuine self is in that session while still being able to have that balancing act of professionalism and boundaries. Healthy, appropriate therapeutic boundaries are a must. You need to be highly ethical and well-boundaried because it is very easy to start slipping into chit-chat or excessive self-disclosure if you don't keep yourself in check. You need to know your own stuff. So like if I have issues I haven't worked through and my clients have the same issues, that's going to trigger me and that's not appropriate. I need to be able to deal with whatever I need to deal with for myself before or after the session, the sessions for the client only. Um, and I, I mean, it's not really a requirement, but I find a good memory is really helpful. I take good notes, but really my memory is what I go on every session. Um, and it just helps to remember stuff. People really feel good when they know, like I was obviously listening and I was listening enough to remember. So, um, I would say those like, yeah, those are probably the highest, most important things on my list for like a good therapist. Um, And I think being humble enough to know that no matter how much you know, how much experience you have, or how confident you are, you're never too good for supervision. I seek supervision every single week still. And all my peers do as well. We have a monthly case consultation. And I talk to one of my therapist friends almost every single day. Um, and when I talk, when we talk about 
seeking supervision, it's all completely confidential. We don't reveal any client demographic information or anything even close. It's more something like this. We would say like, um, I have somebody right now who has dermatillomania and um, she's really struggling because her uh, parents don't really understand. Like I would never say age, location, first name, school, like none of it, right? Mm -hmm. I would just, um, just enough information to talk about the case, right? Um, Things that they should not have. I mean, it's kind of just like the opposite. Like the people I've worked with who I thought were iffy, um, it was like ethical and boundary issues. You know, it's just like, and they were like blatant, um, which of course requires like a report to the state board. I mean, it's like very, very serious. What One thing I can recommend is like, you can go online and look up any licensed professional's name and see if there's ever been any strikes against them or complaints against them on the state board website. And you should. Hmm. That's interesting. Oh yeah. It's, I mean, thank God they have it, right? It's like, they mm-hmm. absolutely should have it. It should be published everywhere. People yeah. don't always know you can access that, but it's important to know, right? Like anybody can make a mistake, but the ethics board's not going to find you guilty of a mistake. Like these are like blatant, like blatant disregard for ethics and, you know, the rules of our profession. Like we are not to take advantage of our client's vulnerable position. Mm-hmm. That's like a lot of, uh, like in, in the media, at least I've seen in like books and stuff, you know, that um, that sometimes clients, because, you know, they're sharing so much with you and they build like a relationship, almost like a, it can almost turn romantic for them, like from the yeah. things. On, and, and it's like, I think there was a book called like lying on the couch and the person was li- literally lying to their therapist, but wanted to be with them romantically. It was this whole thing. But like, yeah, you have to know as a professional like that no way like you only love you only think you love me because of this or you know something like that it's because i'm listening (laughs) (laughs) and like it feels amazing right it feels amazing for somebody to listen to you now i work with kids so it doesn't happen but when i worked with adults and like who knows like maybe one of them thought like woo, sandy but like you have to know that um it's inappropriate i mean it, it, it will never be appropriate like there's never ever going to be a case where it's like okay fine you can like date your client but not even that like you now here's an interesting thing you can't even be friends with your client mm-hmm. and like i've had some clients who are like around my age who i'm like oh my god like she's so cool like if we had met in different circumstances i'd be friends with her but i what we won't we can't be and that wouldn't be appropriate right and that's just the end of it right so if you're not the thing is if you struggle with your own validation as a therapist and then people really like you because of how you're doing as their therapist it's hard to turn down that attention. Like it's like an unconditional friend who like kind of worships you in like the, the media portrayal you're talking about. This hasn't happened to me, mm-hmm. um, right? Like, and you see it all the time, like in the media. And like, I've never seen a movie or a show about a therapist that was like ethical. Like they don't, they don't do anything ethically. Um, they're always like sneaking around with their clients or like telling their parents stuff they're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the boundary thing, it's because well, there's lots of reasons, but of course, just like with any other profession, people can get into it for the wrong reasons. And there are people who get into it for their own personal validation. That's interesting. How do you yeah. feel about the media portraying therapists that certain way? Like when you tell people like, oh, I'm a therapist, like, do, do they have that? Like, oh, on TV, you sleep with your clients. Like, do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, do you, 
do you have that uh, reaction sometimes? Uh, no, I've never had that reaction. I think what people do think, though, I think they think therapists are just way different than they really are. They think we give advice. They think it's just like a chat for an hour, like as if you were the friend. Um, they think we can like, you know, like if like your husband calls, I can tell him everything you just said. It's not, it's nothing even close to anything like that, right? Like it's not supposed to be a chit chat with a friend. Like I, you can do that already, right? Like you can go chit chat with a friend. I am here to bring something to the table as well. Um, like you can vent, right? But I'm never going to tell you what to do because it's not my job. One of my like lines is that I tell everybody, it's on my website, like I'm the expert in the field, you're the expert on your life. Like I don't tell you how to live. I don't know what's best for you. Now, if you're like young and you're doing something I know for sure is risky, I'm gonna say like, should we talk about maybe making this a goal? And if they're like, no, I'm gonna be like, okay, I'm gonna keep revisiting that. Like, I can't make you do anything. When I say risky, I don't mean like, if they were doing something that was going to actually hurt them, I would have to tell, I would be required to tell their parents. But I mean something like if I find out they're like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to say, just a vague thing. Yeah. Then I would be like, let's talk about that, right? Um, but I'm not going to be like, here's what you have to do. It's mm -hmm. just not my role, you know? So I think the media has portrayed us as these people who can like tell you what to do because we have it all together. And it's just not the case. We're just people. Mm -hmm. What would be your advice to someone who is interested in going to a therapist, but they're a little nervous. Like, what would you tell them? Okay. Yes. Um, I would say go online, narrow it down by your, what you're looking for as far as like specialization. And if you want to use your insurance and your location, all that stuff. And then when you look through everybody's bio, if they don't offer a free phone consultation, don't call them because that is a red flag. Every therapist at this point should be offering a free phone consultation because therapy is expensive, therapy is time consuming, and I don't need to do a one hour evaluation to know if you are or are not a good fit. And you as a client don't need an hour with me to know if I'm a good fit. 15 minutes on the phone, we'll both figure it out. Right? I'm not going to waste your money and waste your time and then say, I can't see you, but I'll take the money. That's mm. unethical. Um, and there are people I just don't work well with for various reasons. Like for example, the age population I work with is my ideal. And there are certain diagnoses I don't know a ton about. Like I don't work with trauma as a primary issue. Um, not because I don't know a ton about it, but because I don't like really to work with trauma. Um, and I don't have the ideal training for that. Um, like if you call me, I will tell you that right off the bat and I will get you to somebody who does. So that's another thing. I would say if people keep kind of telling you they don't really know um, how to work with what you are struggling with, or they don't have an opening or they don't specialize in that, I would ask for a recommendation. I'd say, well, who do you refer to? Who does specialize in that? I would mm -hmm. say, ask for personal recommendations from people. There are a lot, I know like younger people aren't on Facebook a lot, but like your moms are like, go on, tell her to go on her Facebook page, like local moms of XYZ town anonymously. If you want ask, like looking for a recommendation for my 16 year old daughter. Mm -hmm. looking for therapy for anxiety and you will get a ton of people who've sent their own kids to therapy and were pleased with the results. And so, um, I mean, that's the best way. I don't even have a psychology today page anymore. I only have word of mouth referrals. Mm -hmm. So I would say, um, those two things and 
give, give it a try because you can't really lose anything. You're not committing to anything. If you go and you don't like it, you just don't have to go back. They're not going to be like, up oh, six session minimum. Mm -hmm. You go and you see. And if you're not comfortable, you can keep trying and see if that's like just your personal learning curve because it's a new thing. Or if it's just not the right fit and you know after a couple sessions and you, you tell them you need somebody else, you have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had, I've definitely met with a few people and I remember one time I went for the second session and she misplaced my file and that hurt my feelings. And I was like, oh, <laughs> never come back here again. Like she was like, oh, can't find your file. And I was like, really? Like, I want to be important to you. Like, that is something that I want to feel. Like, I want to know that you care. And like you said, that you remember and care to remember. I was like, yeah. so hurt. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I went to a therapist once and she was like, and you have one daughter, right? And I was like, two sons. I was, I, I, I couldn't even handle it. I was so mad. My husband was like, Katie, it's not that big of a deal. And I was like, you don't understand. Like that to me is, it is a big deal because I make it a point to remember things. And if I don't remember, I don't guess. Mm -hmm. I say, I know you told me this. We talked about so, so much. Can you just remind me? Like, I'm very honest about the fact that I forget. I don't just like wing it and hope I get it right. Mm -hmm. It just makes you feel like a, like a number. And I think that's one of the things that turns people off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just like, yeah, never meeting you again. And I like, you know, went to someone else and it was great. Like, you know, I went to a few different people, but um, I think an important thing that you, that you mentioned is that you might not like you know, maybe mesh well or like your therapist the first time, like you can continue to get different people until you feel it's like a good fit. It's not just one and time. That's it. I have to stick with you. Yes. No, it's just like, now, although it's not like a friendship in some ways it is because just like friends, like there are some people who are wonderful people, but they're never going to be compatible with you as a friend. And that's okay. Right. doesn't mean that they're bad or mean. They just mean like, we're just not really the same or we just don't like vibe or whatever. It's like that with a therapist. Like just because I'm a therapist doesn't mean I'm your therapist. I just, I don't necessarily work well with your personality style or you won't like my therapy style. Or maybe you want somebody who's, I don't know, has a different theoretical orientation or it could just be personality. Like it just might not be for you. Like they might want somebody like uber professional who like keeps it like super stoic. And I just, that will never be me. And that's fine. Like they, there will be somebody who fits you, right? You don't, you don't change yourself to fit your therapist. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us where we can find you like social media, email, how can we contact you or see you? Okay. Yes. Um, so my Instagram handle and my TikTok handle are the same therapy with Sandy S A N D I. Um, my website is S Christiansencounseling.com. And you can actually email me right through there. It's sandy at schristiansandcounseling.com. But there's a little link on my website. You can click it to email me. Um, and yeah, Google me. I'll pop right up. Um, and yeah, follow me on Instagram or TikTok. I post mostly educational. I mean, all my professional accounts, it's all educational uh, mental health stuff. I'm a little less active on Instagram right now because I'm kind of like sucked into the TikTok world. It's a little bit more engaging. It's kind of more engaging, isn't it? 
Yeah, I love it. It's fun. And people are more responsive, I think. Like, there's not a ton of comments on Instagram anymore. But mm -hmm. TikTok, the comment section is where it's at. Yeah, and you like you went viral, so you I are I have, content. I, I have eleven million <laughs> views on that one video. It was not expected. <laughs> yeah, how did that feel to go viral? I'm not tail on a roller coaster. Like, oh my gosh! Like, am I really doing this right now? Like, is it? And I was like, oh, we're still going up. Uh oh! Like, the coming down is going to be a little bad, right? And it's <laughs> and it's pretty much exactly like that. Um. It's awesome. It's so cool. Like I'm not like an influencer by any means. I have like 1,200 followers on Instagram. Um, but I look at it at like, it's scary, and there's a little bit of negativity on there. But honestly, I'm looking at oops, I'm looking at it as an opportunity for me to educate people because, like I said, like I'm very passionate about people getting good information about mental health, and I'm not at all like the only one or the best one for them to get it from but I know I'm educated I know I care and I know if I don't know the answer I'll find you somebody who does and so I'm gonna just take this and ride with it and see how long I can educate people on here yeah well thank you so much for coming on and do you have anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up um no I feel kind of this must be how it feels to do therapy with me I feel like I should have asked you questions <laughs> 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 I thought you were going to share yourself. No, this was wonderful. Thank you. I think everything you do is amazing. I think normalizing mental health is the, the way of the future. I think we're not going to even call it mental health in the future. It's just going to be health. It's going to be physical health, mental health, emotional health. It's all going to be wrapped up in one. And um, you're making it happen. Thank you. Well, thank you. Don't start making me cry on this episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Sandy. Um, if you ever want to come on again, of course, always welcome. Invitation's always there. I'll see you soon. Chat with you soon. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you.